A couple of years ago, Leanne and I took a trip to Europe and we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary and our first stop was London. And it took us a little while to get into this amazing cathedral, but we got into St. Paul's Cathedral as one of the first grand things we saw on this trip to Europe. And uh, I might have told you this before, but we were walking down the centre aisle, and as you start to look up into the vastness of this dome at St. Paul's Cathedral, I caught myself doing this. It was a funny thing, because we talk about jaw-dropping. But I, I, I just was like, and I went, ah, oh, that's rude, I should shut... Have you ever had that, where you are overwhelmed with the astonishing beauty, the glory, the amazement you feel as a human being when you're in the presence of something absolutely wonderful? Well, this morning we begin what will be, Lord willing, a couple of months studying the Gospel of Mark, and Mark is the Gospel of amazement. I think of Mark and I think of a young man who grows older and has a jaw that's dropping when he thinks about the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. It's the gospel where time and time again, as he describes the works of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, people respond in amazement. So our series in Mark is called, I Stand Amazed. My hope and prayer is that at Northern Life we are exposed afresh to the amazing gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. For about 1,500 years, scholars studying the Bible thought that Mark's gospel was the last gospel. Is that us or is that outside? Oh, it's a skateboard outside. I'm thinking it's the speaker making a funny sound. They're sent to try you as a preacher, <laughs> these noises. Um, 1,500 years, scholars thought that Mark was the last book written. So you have Matthew, Luke and John all written before. But in the last 100 years, it's very much agreed amongst scholars of the Bible that Mark was the first gospel written. So that makes it written about... 64 to 67 AD, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul have just been martyred in Rome and Mark is also in Rome just before the city is destroyed by the Romans and the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. It's just before that. Peter and Paul have been martyred and Mark, or John Mark as he's referred to, decides to write an account of his observations of the preaching of Peter. So if Jesus died around 33 AD, I know it could be slightly different, but about 33 AD, then this is being written, how many years later? 32 years later. It's probably 66, 67. So that got me to thinking, Peter would have been maybe 15, 16, when he was called to leave the fishing boat. Young man. And so when he's about 18 years old, that's probably about the age when he watched the Lord Jesus uh, murdered, executed on a cross and rose again. And it all started. So that got me to thinking, wait on, I'm nearly 50. And so I was 18 in 1988. So to put it in context, if I was Peter... 
1988, Jesus died in history and rose again, and then it's been 30-something years, pretty amazing years, and there's another character who's really important in the story um, of the gospel, and that's the Apostle Paul. He was a bit older. Let's say he was 10 years older. So it got me to thinking, like, I'm nearly 50. I know, say, Richard Ford is not here today, but he's just turned 60. So if you imagine putting it in context, you've got the Apostle Paul, who's Richard Ford. I'm sorry if you don't know him, but he's about 60. There's me, who's about 50, and Alan Ang. Alan's not here today, I guess. No, he'll be here tonight. Alan's probably 46, so I reckon Alan's about the age of Mark, a little bit younger. So Mark, Alan Ang, again, sorry, with jargon from inside the church's community, but... um, There's a guy who's about 46, and for 30 years he's been watching the gospel go forth and the power of the Holy Spirit come, and he's hung out with uh, the Apostle Paul and disappointed him. You'd read about that with Barnabas. But he spent a lot of time with Peter, listening to the preaching of Peter. And then Nero is the emperor of Rome, and after all these years the two really significant pillars of the church, Peter and Paul. Paul is beheaded. Peter is executed, um, crucified upside down. And Mark's left. So Mark puts together this gospel. His Jewish name is John. His Mark is his Gentile name. So John Mark writes the gospel of action, of fast twitch muscle fibre. If Mark was writing his gospel now. Jesus died back in 1988. Anyone remember anything from 1988? I, very soon after that, I was exposed, I was a Christian already, but I was exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, to, to the, um, like, a revelation that this stuff is real. I remember sitting in the congregation, listening to a youth pastor who was a couple of years older than me. I was about 19, 20. And for the first time in my life, I was arrested by truth. It grabbed hold of me, and very soon I went into full-time ministry and been sort of doing that all my life. Something happened, and if you start me talking about those days, I could tell you so many details, and that makes me think, you know what? 30 years isn't that long when you've experienced the power of God. Amen? So this is 30 years later, listening to a whole lot of preaching from Peter, and Mark puts together his gospel And we're reading it now, and it begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's how he begins. The first gospel account. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Matthew began with a genealogy. You guys remember that? Matthew thought he'd begin his gospel by saying, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, because he's trying to link it into the history of the Jewish people of Israel. John began with the divinity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Luke began by saying that he was writing for most excellent Theophilus. Mark dives straight in and says, I'm writing to tell you about the good news that has changed the world. The beginning of the good news. So I just want to break this message up into two sections, really. Firstly, to look at Mark's amazing introduction and then from John the Baptist, we'll look at how to become an amazing introducer. So Mark's amazing introduction of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and then from John the Baptist, how to become an amazing introducer. I think we've probably all heard a good introduction, haven't we? 
Anyone heard a good introduction? What comes to mind when you think of a good introduction? Okay, I think of this. In the blue corner, hailing from Hornsby, Sydney, the undefeated reigning champion with 25 wins and no losses, Stuart Roberts. Stuart wants to preach and he told me to do that as an introduction when he preaches, but he's not doing that today. Or a keynote speaker is about to get up and uh, they're given a glowing introduction. Mark begins his gospel with the aim of giving an amazing introduction to Jesus. He's the star of the show. It's the good news, he says. It's been 30 years, the most wonderful 30 years. The world is a different place because of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we're used to those words. They're Christian sort of words. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But you've got to remember, as we said before, Mark is writing in the context of living in Rome. And he is acutely aware that Rome has one ruler, one ruler, the emperor. His name is Nero. And Nero has just had Paul and Peter executed. And he's probably still on the throne at the time of the writing of this gospel. Rome is familiar with the language of Gospel. We're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about this word gospel. It means good news. It's also this word evangelion, the good news. A Roman inscription dated 9 BC says this. So this is nine years before the birth of Christ. Since the providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life has set in most perfect order by giving to us Augustus, whom she, that is the providence, she filled with virtue, divine power, that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a saviour, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war, that is Augustus, nine years before the birth of Christ, and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our expectations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he had done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning for the world of the gospel, of the good news, of the evangelion that came by reason of him. Who knew that the gospel existed before Jesus turned up? Anyone? So in Rome, 9 BC, they are using the word evangelion before Jesus turns up. They're using good news. And who is the saviour, king of the world, God incarnate? Who is it? It's Augustus Caesar. So when he writes, can you get a feel of this? When Mark writes, the big, you've just killed two of our big guys, Peter and Paul. There's one king, the world thinks, and it's Nero, I'm going to start writing something, not on a typewriter, but I'm going to start writing the beginning of the good news. You think the good news started in 9 BC? I'm telling you the good news started when Jesus Christ turned up on the scene. Amen? And he is the Messiah, the long-awaited king and liberator of humanity, and he is the Son of God, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So good news. 
There's an interesting change in gospel. Just think about the word gospel for a bit. When it first was used, it was the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. It was like, hear ye, hear ye, God has come. Hear ye, hear ye, God has come. There is good news. What do we learn later about the gospel? The gospel is a bunch of historical events, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So it's good just to stop and go, what does he mean by the beginning of the gospel? So on one hand, the gospel is like the gospel of Caesar. Just good news. Amazing news that the Pax Romana has come, the peace of Rome, the world is a better place. But what we learn in the New Testament is the gospel is more than just a general God is doing something. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel that we're talking about this morning is grounded in something that happened in history. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, Paul writes, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, good news, evangelion, same word, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what is this gospel that was passed on? This, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is both just amazing news that God has come, but it is more than that as well. It's the historical work of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. And so that's what Mark is introducing, an amazing introduction. He says, the beginning of the gospel So much more than Augustus, good news. So much more than Nero, good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is an amazing introduction. Anyone remember James Cameron, the director? Anyone? Okay, there's a few. Anyone remember a big movie James Cameron uh, directed 20-something years ago? Titanic. Titanic was directed by James Cameron and he did a very big plug of it and it became the biggest movie of all time. And then in 2009, he had this other movie that got a really big, amazing introduction because my point is James Cameron is one of the best introducers there is. Anyone remember the name of the movie? Avatar. Good introducer. Not that one, but there's another one. Avatar became the biggest movie of all time. James Cameron, great introducer. Now, Avatar 2 and 3, see 2021, 2023, 2020, what's the next one? 25, they're advertising already. This is a a great introducer of a work to take the world by storm. So how is God at being a good introducer? Well, I'd say that he's a wonderful introducer and he's using Mark here to remind people that the introduction of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the good news coming to the world, was an announcement that was set up a long time ago. Let me read from the text, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The people of Israel 
had been reciting the story of how their God had rescued them for year after year after year, for centuries, literally. Every year at Passover time, they would tell the story of the Exodus. The most important story in their uh, understanding of the world, along with the creation story. The time when God heard their cry and came and took them out of Egypt, the people of Israel, opened up the Red Sea and took them through the wilderness to the promised land. Every year at Passover, they told the story. Our God is a rescuing God. And after Israel were taken into exile, which we've studied here at church, about 600 years before Jesus, they were judged for their sin. They lost their city, Jerusalem, to the Babylonians. They lost their temple. And just before that, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 40 the words that Mark quotes here in his gospel right at the start. And this is the quote. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The promise that Isaiah said is, you know what? The people of Israel will be exiled. But when they are exiled in Babylon a long way, lots of hills and valleys and mountains and valleys, a long way away from their home, when God says, your time is up, I'm going to bring you home, the mountains are going to be made low and the valley is going to be brought up and there's going to be a paved highway for our God. Do you see the picture? When the time is right, the rescuer will come, O lost Israel, And there will be a highway and you'll be able to march back to Jerusalem and know you have paid for your sin. So for 600 years, the people of Israel are hoping for a Messiah, hoping for a deliverer, hoping for the Son of God to come. They don't know how, but they're praying and hoping and all of heaven was waiting. And then there has been how many years of silence before Jesus, the good news turned up? 400 years of waiting. So God's going to fix the problem of sin. He's going to bring us back to himself. He's going to fix what Adam and Eve did wrong. So they're waiting. It's 400 years. No prophets speaking. Waiting. The introduction has been given. The curtain has drawn back. And, and. So when's he coming? And, and. Waiting, waiting, waiting. 400 years. And out from behind the curtain comes who? A disheveled man looking like he's got grasshoppers hanging out of his mouth. A disheveled prophet by the name of John. And he brings detail and clarity to the introduction. What Mark wants us to know is there's an amazing introduction of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's from Isaiah the prophet. And then he prophesied that one would start calling Israel to repentance. And this is what we find with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist appeared, verse 4, in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel went out to him, confessing their sins that were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist 
And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 400 years of waiting with the curtain ready to reveal the saviour of the world. And out comes John. And John is a great introducer. And he says this, if I was to summarise, and you could if you look at it, how would you summarise what he said as an introduction? I think he says, repent, confess your sins, bow before the king, receive the free gift of the Spirit. This is pre-Jesus dying on the cross. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He just knows the message. He knows what to say about the one who's coming. Repent, confess your sins, bow before the king, receive the free gift of the Spirit. So do you want to know how to give an amazing introduction of someone to Jesus? Encourage them to confess, confess their sins to God. Repent, which means rethink. Change your allegiance. Change the order of the loves of your life. Change the direction you're going in and cast yourself on the mercy of God. Confess your sins. Repent. Acknowledge that there is one Lord of all the world. There is one Lord of my world. One Lord of your world. And it's not us. It's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And received the gift of the Spirit, which we know is made available to us because Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, shed his blood for us and rose again from the dead. And he sent his Spirit to fill us up and show us how to live. A few of us met on Monday night, two, um, probably eight of us, eight guys actually. And we're working through the course Meeting Jesus. And we spent a little bit of time talking about sin. And we're asking the question, are we sinners? Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Have you failed to live up to not only your own expectation of what a moral standard is for life, but God's standard as well, which is the description of a sinner? And as I came away from that night, I thought to myself, you know what? There's no hope for someone who doesn't know they're a sinner. Someone who doesn't acknowledge that they are broken, sinking, in need of a life preserver. If you're not a sinner, I guess you don't know that you need a saviour. And Jesus came to save sinners. So if you're not a sinner in your own eyes, then I guess there's no chance that Jesus is saving you, which is a sober thought. But if you do know that you're a sinner like I am, and every time you go back to that well-trodden pathway of sin, you feel the guilt of every human being before a holy God. If you've been walking away from God, even though you know he's calling you to him and you long to be free. You long to be forgiven. You long for a hope beyond the stuckness of life, the suffering of life, the roundabout of guilt and shame and bitterness and jealousy. If you're ready to come back, to come home, you know acutely that you need a saviour. You need an amazing introduction to someone who can change your world, who can heal your pain, who can forgive your sin, who can restore your broken heart with grace and truth and light and love. 
You need the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He loved you enough to die for your sin and was powerful enough to rise from the dead to come and find you. He did that. He's done that in history. Mark begins his gospel with an amazing introduction and an amazing introducer. I've asked Ben to play and sing a song for us. He's going to come and do that now. I just encourage you to take a moment to, to listen to this beautiful song. It's uh, called I Stand Amazed. Confess your sin, bow before the King, receive the Spirit. There is one who designed you and knows you completely, absolutely. Knows what happened to you and you have struggled to give it away, to let it go. Knows the pain you feel when you have tried to get rid of your pain and you've chosen really unhelpful ways to do it. He knows the bitterness that you have in your heart that you want to get rid of, but it's hard. He knows about the anger you have and you think you know how to control it, but it grabs a hold of you and you become a person you don't want to be. Scripture says that Jesus died for us when we were sinners, not because we cleaned ourselves up, He died because he was and is Messiah, the Son of God, prophesied all the way back from the very beginning, Genesis 3.15. One will come and crush the serpent's head, the seed of the woman. He was always coming to be our saviour, but we have a choice whether we receive him. Amen. Could you sing that um, How Marvellous again? And as you feel like wanting to... uh, Again, pledge your allegiance to your Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I just encourage you to stand and sing it as well if you want. could be the first time that you want to say, you know what, Lord, I want to live for you. I don't know how it's going to quite happen, but I know I need you. I know you died and rose again. Help me. I want to confess my sin, bow before the King and receive your Spirit. And some of us... It's just that we've gone cold. And for some of us, we're like, you know what? That's exactly my heart. And I want to declare, even in this little gathering, I believe it's a marvelous thing. And I stand amazed. So, and if you want to, please stand. How marvelous, how wonderful. 